Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the MetaBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast. In today's episode, we cover the topic of NRL feeding found under the nutrition section at MetaBullets.com. Let's begin with a clinical snapshot. A 69-year-old male experienced an acute ischemic stroke and is now suffering from dysarthria and dysphagia. In order to reduce the risk of aspiration pneumonia and other complications from his poor swallowing ability, his treating team elects to temporarily place a nasogastric tube to deliver nutrition until he regains sufficient swallowing ability or another method of nutrition is pursued. Let's continue with an introduction to enteral feeding. Enteral feeding refers to any route of feeding that utilizes the patient's GI tract to deliver appropriate nutrition. This differs from parenteral nutrition, which delivers nutrition intravenously, completely bypassing the GI tract. Enteral nutrition is preferred to parenteral nutrition whenever feasible. If the GI tract is functional, use it. Benefits include improved absorption, immunological benefits, and it helps maintain a healthy and functional GI tract. Remember that poor enteral feeding is common in the elderly or those with risk factors such as dementia. Specific routes of enteral feeding would include a nasogastric tube, orogastric tube, nasoenteric tube, which can be a nasoduodenal or nasojejunal tube, oroenteric tube, which can be orodwadnal or orojejunal, a gastrostomy tube, or a jejunostomy tube. Let's now discuss the indications of enteral feeding. Remember that this is used for patients with a functioning GI tract that is having difficulty eating. This may include patients with difficulty swallowing, secondary to stroke, esophageal obstruction, or advanced dementia, etc. Remember that enteral feeding can bypass the esophagus and deliver food to the distal GI tract, reducing the risk of aspiration pneumonia. It can also be used for unconscious or comatose patients, postoperative patients who are not tolerating oral intake within a reasonable period of time after surgery, patients with a partial intestinal failure, or patients with anorexia nervosa. And lastly, complications related to enteral feeding include complications related to tube placement or access or metabolic abnormalities, such as refeeding syndrome, blockage of the feeding tube, irritation or ulceration of the proximal GI tract, peristomal infections, hypo or hyperglycemia, so one should monitor plasma glucose levels, electrolyte abnormalities, so it is important to keep a close monitoring of lab values, volume overload, enteral tube feeding-related diarrhea, aspiration, and bacterial contamination of feeds, which may lead to sepsis or other infections. Now that we've discussed the major points relating to enteral feeding, let's walk through a question to apply what we've learned and get a sense of how the topic might be tested. For this question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 78-year-old man is brought to the emergency department by his son. He recently fell and now complains of pain over his ribs. He has also been less responsive lately and has been experiencing diarrhea. The patient lives alone in an apartment and has a past medical history of hypertension and dementia. His current medications include lisinopril, memantine, and donepezil. His temperature is 99.5 degrees Fahrenheit, or 37.5 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 120 over 75. Pulse is 95 beats per minute. Respirations are 15 breaths per minute. And oxygen saturation is 97% on room air. On physical exam, you note an uncomfortable elderly man. The patient responds to questions, but his answers are inappropriate, and he struggles to find the right words. Neurological exam is notable for an ataxic gait and nystagmus. Dermatologic exam is also notable for scattered ecchymoses and hyperkeratosis of the hands. The patient is balding, and his hair seems very fragile and coiled. 
Cardiac exam reveals a systolic murmur that radiates to the carotids. Pulmonary exam reveals mild bibasilar crackles. Radiography is ordered and demonstrates a compression fracture of the fourth lumbar vertebra. The patient is started on IV fluids. Which of the following is the most likely diagnosis? And the answer choices are Choice 1. Elder abuse Choice 2. Alcohol abuse Choice 3. Celiac disease Choice 4. Poor dietary intake or choice 5, normal aging. The best answer to this question is, choice 4, poor dietary intake. This patient is presenting with symptoms of Wernicke's encephalopathy from thiamine deficiency, clotting abnormalities from vitamin K deficiency, fractures from vitamin D deficiency, hyperkeratosis from vitamin A deficiency, and some signs of scurvy from vitamin C deficiency, suggesting a diagnosis of malnutrition. Malnutrition typically occurs in vulnerable populations, including the elderly, those with dementia, the handicapped, and those who are unable to care for themselves. The differential diagnosis should include elder abuse, alcohol abuse, and other pathologies that could result in malabsorption, such as Crohn's and celiac disease. The best initial step in management is to replete nutrients and to discharge the patient with a care plan that ensures that they are taken care of. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 1. Elder abuse would present with abnormal bruises and fractures as this patient has. However, this would not explain this patient's other symptoms. In the setting of a patient with dementia living alone, malnutrition is a more likely diagnosis. Choice 2. Alcohol abuse could present with thiamine deficiency, which could predispose a patient to Wernicke-Korsakoff encephalopathy. Notably, this patient's lack of history of alcohol use and his old age, combined with dementia and living alone, suggests a diagnosis of malnutrition secondary to poor oral intake. Choice 3. Celiac disease could present with symptoms of fat-soluble vitamin deficiencies. However, it would be unlikely that such symptoms would present so late in life. Choice 5. Normal aging does not present with multiple deficiencies in different vitamins. Finally, a bullet summary. Malnutrition presents with symptoms suggestive of multiple different vitamin and mineral deficiencies and tends to occur in vulnerable populations, such as the elderly, those with dementia, and handicapped individuals. That's all for this review about aneral feeding. We hope that was helpful. This is the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast, a daily audio review session for MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. As a reminder, you can follow along with these podcast episodes by reviewing the topics directly on medbullets.com. You can listen to these episodes on the MedBullets website or phone app while reading through the topic. If the MedBullets podcast has been valuable to you, we'd be thrilled if you consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here on the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast.